Blog Talk Radio. If I ever do anything right, I want to be so good to this little life. If I ever wake in the night, I want to know I tried my best with Funded show. No part of this program should be construed as medical advice. And now your host, Gina Kirby. Good morning, everyone. Welcome to the program today. If this is your first time here, I want to welcome you. You know, being a parent is the hardest job you'll ever have, and Progressive Parenting understands this and wants you to know that you are not alone. My name is Gina Kirby, and I am the host of Progressive Parenting. I am not a parenting expert, but as a doula, childbirth educator, the Lecture League International Breastfeeding Peer Counselor, and concerned parent of four children, I understand the difficulties involved with parenthood. So every Tuesday at 11 a.m. Mountain Time, I invite doctors, nurses, family workers, authors, and experts from different fields to answer your parenting questions. Now, because this is a progressive talk show, we will broach topics and air opinions that you as a parent might not otherwise hear about through the mainstream media. The mission of progressive parenting is to inform, not to preach, to share, not advise, and to connect, not alienate. Uh, thank you so much for joining us today. I'm really excited about today's program as we are going to be talking about breastfeeding, which is near and dear to my heart. So um, I'm really excited about our guest, uh, Edith Kernerman. She's amazing. Edith Kernerman has been an international board certified lactation consultant since 2002. She is the president of Breastfeeding Inc., the world's first online only breastfeeding resource for parents and healthcare professionals and facilities around the world. Uh, Kernerman is the past director and senior faculty at the International Breastfeeding Center and IBCLC Pathway 3 instructor. Her work has been published in numerous publications, including journal. Uh, the Journal of Human Lactation, and the Journal of Clinical Lactation. She's also a really amazing person who I very much admire, and I'm excited to hear what she has to say. Our show topic today is um, very tantalizing, and uh, I think eyebrow-raising, which is fantastic. Before we get to my guest today, I want to thank our sponsors. Uh, I'm very proud to announce that Bebomia Inc., is the sponsor for today's show, and they are offering our community 20% off of their breastfeeding education certification. Inspired by the World Health Organization's 20-hour breastfeeding course, this online certification prepares you for all the questions you will get as a birth birth and parenting professional. This training is ideal for prenatal and postpartum fitness experts, doulas, childbirth educators, sleep educators, massage therapists, nurses, and anyone else that is working with expecting and new parents. So you can head on over to bebomia.com forward slash breastfeeding. Use the code GINAFRIENDS, that's my name, G-E-N-A-F-R-I-E-N-D-S, all uppercase, and 20% comes off of your total. Thank you so much, Bebomia. We love you so much. Our show is also brought to you today by the beautiful people at Recessa Cradle. The Recessa Cradle is the only resuscitation support board designed for stabilizing the head, neck, and body of a newborn to help ensure an open airway. The unique lightweight design and easy cleanability makes the Recessa Cradle ideal for hospitals, birth centers, and ambulances. Perfect for both home birth, midwives, and other care providers. The Recessa Cradle removable support pad and its specially designed case allow all of your birth and newborn supplies to be housed in one convenient, lightweight carrying case. Thank you, beautiful people at Recessa Cradle, and thank you, Bebo Mia. I am so excited. We have another sponsor, but I will be announcing who they are later in the program. So back to it. I want to introduce you all to Edith Kernerman. 
Edith, are you with us right now? Hi there, Gina. How are you? I am amazing. Uh, quick question. Can you hear me well? It got a little loud here where I'm at. I can hear you. You have a cute little bit of background, but it's all good. And Perfect. can you hear me okay? I got a fan going here because our air conditioning is confident. <laughs> you sound fantastic. I'll just mute myself when I'm not talking. But I am so happy to have you on the program today. Thank you for being here. I'm so happy to be here. It's fabulous. Thank you for asking me. Yeah, absolutely. So um, the cruelty of breast is best. I'm sure that's got a lot of moms out there, like, with an eyebrow arched. What does that mean? <laughs> yeah, I've delivered this talk at, at some really at some really big um, professional conferences and, and small groups and moms groups and stuff, and people are always, huh? I thought she was an international board lactation consultant, huh? So, yeah, it's uh, I have two problems with the phrase breast is best, and so I always talk about the cruelty of breast is best because I actually have a problem with the phrase. And the phrase sets it up as though breastfeeding is in comparison to something else, as though there's this kind of competition or there's a race going on, and, um, and that we all really need to know who are the candidates or who are the competitors, and breastfeeding is going to win out or breast is going to win out. And so I have a problem with that because I don't think that there is anything in the category of breastfeeding. Breastfeeding is just a normative, natural, physiological function of the body um, that results in a whole bunch of different things that we can talk about on a philosophical level, on a social level, on a psychosocial level, psychologically, biologically, chemically. We can talk about it on so many different levels. However, to think that there's some sort of competition going on, I think, is really doing a disservice to everybody and everything. So I have a problem with that in one place. In another way, I have a problem with us promoting breast is best, especially because A, again, it's not best, it's just normative, and B is that it kind of gets everybody all excited about, okay, breastfeeding, it's all amazing, it's so fabulous. And, you know, here in Canada, we've had unbelievable initiation rates. So we've had up to 97, 96% of women, or sometimes 98% of women in Ontario, literally saying, I'm going to breastfeed, and they start. They initiate. And then days later... That number is plummeting, and by weeks later, it's just plummeted. And so, well, what have we done? We got all these women excited about breastfeeding, and we got them starting, and then, bam, here's the thing we didn't wait, wait, tell wait, you. Wait, 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 hold on. I'm sorry. I forgot I was on mute. Where, what does that number start at? Oh, well, in Ontario, um, one of the provinces in Canada, we're anywhere, depending on which um, stats you look at, between 94 and 96 percent initiation rate. 96 yeah. initiation. We can be up to that. Sorry, in Toronto, in Toronto, yeah. And in Ontario, we can be anywhere from low 90s to mid 80s. And in Canada, pretty well across the board, it's on average, I think it's somewhere around 84, 86 percent. But again, it depends what the percent is mind blowing. So we have like yeah. over 80 percent of moms wanting to breastfeed when they start out. And then what happens to that number? And when does that happen? Yeah, okay, so that's in Canada, so it's lower in the U.S., um, but U.S. rates have been coming up, but it's lower, and um, and so what happens is literally in 24 hours, we're dropping, and less than that, like, we're, we're dropping, we're dropping, we're plummeting fast, 24, 48, 72 hours, one week, two weeks, three weeks, four weeks, and yeah, we have very, very few that are continuing. Um, and so the challenge is that what I always say to people is that, We've done an amazing job with the marketing to get women breastfeeding up until recently. We've done a fabulous job. We get all these women excited about breastfeeding. We get them hooked on the idea about it, and then we reveal what the fine print was. And I have it in one of my slides in my talk. It has a huge, huge, huge breast is best, and underneath is a very small, it says dot, 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 but you are on your own. And that's a problem. Wow. That's the truth. You know, I want to tell you. Yeah, I want to tell you a quick little story. My grandfather, who died at the age of 101 and a half in the year 2000, 
um, he used to tell us stories about when he was a little kid. And one thing he, because, you know, I was so active in breastfeeding and stuff, and one thing he said to me was, you know, it's pretty, it's pretty funny when I see women breastfeeding nowadays. It was so different back in my day. So now he's talking about it would have been the beginning of the 1900s, what he was referring to, or, you know, around then. And he says, I remember being a very, very, very little, little boy. And I remember on Friday nights when all the women would be gathering to do the cooking at one of the women's houses, then they'd all have their babies there. And there would be babies in little bassinets and babies in little Moses baskets and so on and so forth. And there'd be women at the stove and women at the kitchen and women doing some laundry and women doing some cleaning and women everywhere. And if a baby cried, one of the babies cried, whichever woman was nearest that basket or baby wherever they were, um, they would pick up that baby and they would nurse it. Just It didn't matter if it was hers. She just put the baby to her breast because that baby's mom might have been over a very hot stove at that very moment. Now, there would have been babies in carriers, like wraps and stuff, but if the women, all of the ones who were over the stove, they weren't going to have their babies with them. And he said they would just pick it up. Like, that, that was the whole concept of you weren't alone. You know, it always takes a village, and it was. That's what it was like. We don't have that anymore. That's like an insane notion right now. We can't even relate to that at all. But the challenge is, if we don't start supporting women in the way they need to be supported as human beings to do what we were meant to do, and when I say meant, I'm not talking in a judgmental way. I'm just talking physiologically. If we choose to give birth and have a baby and we choose to feed that baby, a woman should be supported in that choice. Well, well, they absolutely should be supported. And I feel like that's what a lot of... Um, the, the people who are being accused of guilting moms are trying to do. We're trying to support um, parents in their decision-making by informing them. And I really feel like it's being taken as um, preaching. And I'm wondering what we can do to change that perception. Uh, from, I mean, I've heard some really ugly things. I just posted the other day on Facebook. Can we please stop using um, uh, lactivists? and um, breastfeeding counselors and uh, people who care about breastfeeding and the word Nazi together. Can we stop doing that? Because, um, you know, Nazi is like a really serious word and a really horrible time in the history of our planet. So um, I don't know that it's fair to put those two things together when all we're really trying to, or what I think people are trying to communicate when they use those words together is that they feel maybe bullied or they feel guilted by the information that they're getting. Would you agree that maybe that there are some people out there who are maybe very zealous or or zealot-like in their um, wanting to share information with people that might come across as uh, preachy or guilt-inspiring? Does that make sense to you? Yeah, 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 totally. And, yeah, I do agree. And, yeah, I I think the challenge is no matter who we are and what we're we're talking about, when we get passionate about something, sometimes we can get a little bit of tunnel vision. And I think that so many have recognized that the importance of breastfeeding is slowly being lost and is being lost in so many different ways and at different levels of society. And so I think we have some really, as you say, zealous and overzealous people who will um, go to a lot of extremes thinking, you know, believing and being passionate about it and saying, hey, we can't lose this, and really not understanding that the best way to communicate is, is, is not to preach and yell at people and give them advice when they're, you know, and and I'm sure I've been guilty of it too, giving unwanted advice many times. Um, It's finding a fine line. And what I've learned over the last few years, and it's taken me a long time to learn this, is that we learn much more by asking questions and really understanding first where the other person is coming from and what they're about. there's, There's no point to trying to preach to someone when you don't even know why they're there in the first place and what what their situation is. Um, 
I've always said you, you can never, don't ever think to judge a mother until you've worn her bra for a day. And, you know, it's really not for us to know <laughs> what anybody else is going through. Right. Oh, my gosh. I, I like the idea of not judging anybody until you wear her bra for a day, um, which kind of brings me to that um, the video that I was talking to you about earlier, uh, the one with um, – the, it's called Adam Ruins Everything, and he was yeah. talking about breastfeeding. And I was really expecting something else or something more uh, non-biased. But at the very beginning of the the video, uh, this woman brings out formula to feed her baby, and there's this uh, the stereotypical crunchy mom who's aghast and like, oh, you know, um, formula's the worst, you're poisoning your baby kind of thing, and then. Uh, another woman pops out and says, you know, how dare you um, judge her for that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm totally about that. I understand that part of it. I think it's gross and wrong to judge a mom for her um, choices. Uh, And on the other side of the coin is I don't know if there's anything wrong with educating parents in general about what those choices are and being fair about them. Um, And I love that you said, like, (laughs) The whole idea of wearing somebody else's bra, uh, the non-judgmental part of everything. I love that. Um, where is, is there a happy medium for all of us? Anywhere in there? Yeah, I, I think that I, I I like to talk a, I like not to talk about right and wrong and judgmental, I or, or getting judgmental. I like to talk about what works. What, what's really effective and, and what works. And, and I like to talk a lot about structural integrity and integrity. And this is my my big focus over the last year and a half, that when we don't have integrity in certain areas, then our whole lives don't work. And if you think of the breastfeeding uh, movement, which unfortunately has now become a movement, uh, which is beyond beyond bizarre to me. It's almost an oxymoron in my mind because it just seems, uh, it's almost bizarre we've gotten here. Again, from not right, wrong, but from what works and doesn't work. But we've gotten here because there have been, there's money involved. And money is going to bring us to various uh, activities that I think are going to take us way beyond what we ever thought could possibly happen. For instance, I always tell people, follow the money. So whenever a parent gets advice from anyone, I always ask them, do you know who was paying for that? Do you know where that's coming from? And when they read something or when they hear something, where's that coming from? So the kind of advice is going to be a reflection of who's behind it and what were their motives, what were their, literally, what was the intent behind that advice? And so that's, I think one of the seeds of the problem here is that it's hard or difficult to find a medium when most advice coming out there and most of what you'll find on Dr. Google is really Dr. Google with lots and lots and lots of dollar signs. Now, let me jump in really quickly on that one before someone else does, and they would have a right to, and that is you know, my own company, Breastfeeding Inc., It's a for-profit company, and we create online tools, resources, protocols, and so on for uh, families, healthcare professionals, doctors, nurses, midwives, whatever, hospitals, clinics, all around the world. And one could argue, well, you know, we have lots of free stuff on our website, videos, everything like that, but at the same time, we also charge for some things. And so one could say, well, perhaps the information coming from Breastfeeding Inc. is colored by the fact that we are a for-profit organization. And I would get that. You know, I, I would absolutely, I can't, I can't say to someone, you're wrong for looking at who pays for what. You're not. You're absolutely not. It's not incorrect. <clears throat> In fact, it's smart to do. And I think that we have to look at every single company, every single organization that talks about breastfeeding, that talks about Um, not breastfeeding and encourages or does things to get women away from breastfeeding and to give them misinformation. And so coming back to your initial question about the video or your mention about the video, I'm not familiar with who funds that video. 
um, and I'm not familiar with whether the author of Lactivism, you know, whether who her funding is. Um, I know that to ask a political scientist about certain things about breast milk and breastfeeding is a little funny. And I find, wow, what an interesting resource you would use. So I, I, I kind of find that very interesting. And at the same time, I find that it, it's got such little basis in fact. And that's the problem, that when we mask, when we mask what's really marketing as fact, well, we're going to do a lot of damage. And again, follow the money. Why is it there? So now you ask me the question, is there no middle ground? Well, certainly there is. And the challenge is that organizations that are not doing this necessarily for financial purposes and do not have a financial anything to be gained by women not breastfeeding, they have to speak up more. We have to not only speak up more in a marketing point of view, but coming back to my whole cruelty of breast is best, we've got to support women in their choice to breastfeed so that when they breastfeed, they have help and support because our society is no longer set up to support them. So if we don't help and support them, then companies who have other ulterior motives are going to be able to come in and woo women away from breastfeeding very quickly. And thus you have videos like this guy's video that is going to seem, wow, isn't that attractive? Isn't that amazing? Yeah, he's making some great salient points. Yes, that's so good. Yeah, it's not so important to breastfeed because women aren't armed. They, we haven't put armor on them. They're not armed. That's an interesting uh, choice of words, too, when we say armed or, or armored. It's like they're going to war. Um, I'd, I'd like to talk a little bit about that because, it's, it's upsetting that I feel like we have to feel like we have to arm people uh, against misinformation. Even, oh my gosh, Edith, I have to tell you the other day, I was having a conversation with a lactation counselor slash doula who um, was more upset about um, the lactivist and, the, and her own words, um, the breastfeeding Nazis. So, and I was saying, well, wait a minute, you know, uh, formula companies have a, a billion-dollar industry. They have a lobby. They have billions of dollars to advertise. And people who are trying to educate about breastfeeding, you know, they don't have the same – we're not on the same footing. And she's like, no, 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 that's not true. Uh, there's plenty of people pushing breastfeeding. And um, I wanted to talk about the, um, the cognitive dissonance or, like, what that means. When somebody is saying, uh, using the word pushing, like like breastfeeding is a drug, um, or something that we're forcing on people, uh, and and what is I mean, what does that even mean when we have doulas who are lactation counselors on the bandwagon against educating for breastfeeding? I, I just feel like it's it's so un unlevel un. It's just so unfair <laughs> that the very idea that, um, you know, Nestle has billions and billions of dollars to promote their product and breastfeeding is not a product. It's, it's something that we've done for millennia before the advent of this uh, miraculous thing called formula. So I don't even know what my question is anymore. Edith, I feel like I just want to throw up my hands and sit down in the corner for some time. <laughs> Because, I think oh, we've all we've all felt like that many times. Make and, sense. Right. And and here's the thing, and again, you, you you've hit the nail on the head. Um breastfeeding is not a product. And the challenge is that when we have something that's the biological norm and you come in and bring some very glossy, fancy advertising in its m many forms in a multi billion dollar industry. Um, anything can look really attractive and much sexier. And breastfeeding is anything but sexy. And so bringing it into a commercialized world is is now we're, we're, we're bringing breastfeeding into a realm where it doesn't belong and we are so ill-suited and ill-prepared. It's, it's kind of like who would have ever thought that water would have been bottled? And who would have ever ever thought that right. one would have to defend water or put up a whole advertising campaign 
for water. And I'm not talking about conserving water or anything like that. I'm just talking about drinking water, like to have yeah. water available for us to drink. Now, certainly we're countries where we don't have clean water. That's a huge issue. And, you know, I come from Canada. We have the Great Lakes. We have, you know, and yet now we have to worry about companies like Nestle coming in and taking our water. And you can get a lot of people very upset about that, where they start realizing that other companies are coming in literally owning our water, and they're going to bottle it, and they're going to sell it back to us. Now, you might say, well, that you know, that's industry, and that's capitalism, and they're allowed to, and if they're going to go through the expense of taking our water and bottling it, then we should have to buy it. Okay, fine. It's capitalist society. We created it. We can't really complain that much. However... When we start to look at all the marketing around uh, soft drinks and juices and all these different things, there's no wonder so few people are going to actually just drink plain water. Why would you when you have all of this glossy, amazing stuff around you that's supposed to give you electrolytes and supposed to give you this and supposed to do that? Even water itself is not good enough. It's got to be water that's been bottled or water that's been this. And so coming back to you have a doula who's, pushing breastfeeding or suggest sorry she's suggesting that others are pushing breastfeeding like a drug you're absolutely right because it's kind of like saying oh my goodness these women have to give birth and you know everybody is talking about pushing vaginal deliveries oh my god everybody is pushing that we have to do this naturally and Yeah. yeah we're actually coming to that in the childbirth world we're actually coming to the point where we have to defend wanting to give birth without drugs and it's bizarre, but there, too, we have an over-medicalization of something which is normative and physiologic. So I think our challenge is that too often we have people who don't get the importance of breastfeeding. And worse is they don't understand the risks of not breastfeeding. And if we all truly understood the risks of not breastfeeding, we'd have a whole lot more people who actually supported breastfeeding, and therefore, when women chose to breastfeed, they would continue to breastfeed. But that's not what's happening. Women choose to breastfeed. The support system around them isn't knowledgeable enough about why it's so critically important for her to get help to continue. And so instead, we have all these areas for infiltration by marketing and formula company and so on, who have literally pulled the wool over so many people's eyes. Well, and that's the thing then. um, I think people are kind of off-put or maybe just kind of blown away by the idea that there are risks to not breastfeeding. Like we gauge everything out. I mean, so much thought is put into um, giving birth, right? Where people are like, oh, I don't know, giving birth at home sounds really risky. I want to do the best for my baby. And it seems to like stop right after the baby comes out. Like that type of thinking. Like what is the best for my baby? What what can I do that is going to ensure my baby's health and well-being? And it seems to stop like right after the birth. I mean, think about all of the stress uh, uh, that goes into just thinking about the baby being born, even if somebody's going to have their baby at the hospital, you know, all of the the, the breath holding and the uh, fist clenching and all the things that happen in the birthing room, because we're so worried about the well-being of the baby. And it seems to like that thinking there seems to cease as soon as the baby is outside of the mother's body. And what can we say to people when they're like, what do you mean the, the danger of not breastfeeding? And by the way, I, I want to say this is a um, disclaimer because in my show I say I don't want, we're not judging people. We're not saying you're a bad mom if you're formula feeding. I, I supplemented with my first child. There's nothing wrong with it. Um, but I, I would have given anything to know everything I needed to know for my first child. And I didn't know everything. And I, I forgive myself of that, and there's nothing wrong with it. This this show is for anybody who wants to know more about breastfeeding. This is not meant to make you feel bad about your choices or anything like that. That's not what we do. But what can you share, Edith, about when you say the dangers of not breastfeeding your baby? What does that even mean? It, it sounds like it's, it's over the top. What does that mean when you say that? Yeah, and and I'll just to your point about, again, what I said earlier, there's no judgment here. There's no right or wrong. There's nothing to feel, 
oh, you know, superior or inferior, guilty or not guilty. It's not about that. It's about what works. And so if what works for you as a human being is to choose not to breastfeed, then that's what works for you. If what works for you as a family is to choose to do, that, that's what works for you. It's not about right or wrong. The challenge is how do we inform people? Well, let, let me tell you a quick little story. I was giving a talk to a university, um, uh, it, it was one of the universities in Toronto, to a, a, a very strong feminist group. Um, there in their department and it was it was a conference there and on feminism and I was asked to give a talk on breastfeeding and I remember the night before it was like 11 p.m. and I was still banging my head against the wall like what what do I tell women who you know I truly am aligned with the feminist movement like how could I tell them about breastfeeding when they feel so informed as it is. They feel like they already know it. And and I, I called James Acri, who the author of The Problem with Breastfeeding, and I called him in Switzerland and I said, Jim, you've got to help me because I don't know what to do tomorrow morning. I, I'm stuck. And he said, well, Edith, here's the challenge. She said, and I have it in my book, is that there are people who are informed, but there are, people, there are not many people who are genuinely informed. And so what you have to realize is that you're going to have to talk to them in such a way that you recognize they are informed, but are they genuinely informed? And so this is, I think, our challenge in having people, the doulas, the midwives, the doctors, the lactation consultants even, have them genuinely informed. But the problem is so often when we give people information, people feel they have enough information to make a decision. They feel informed. However, we as a practitioner might know they're not genuinely informed. So how do you do that? Well, the problem is you said so earlier, so much, you know, you said so well earlier is that breastfeeding is not a product. So we don't give it the marketing that it now requires in order to literally stay alive. And if we gave it the marketing, then we could start talking about what those risks and dangers are. And we know that babies who are not breastfed are less likely or more likely to have long-term and short-term sequelae, as well as the mother who does not breastfeed. And if we look at even from all the allergic march and the asthma and the allergy, so all the allergy, the eczema, we look at the cardiovascular diseases, the cancers, and we start understanding about the obesity and all the things around um, metabolic syndrome, so the diabetes and so on. You know, it, the risks are there for both mother and baby. And does that mean that if a child is not breastfed, they're definitely going to end up with one of those things? No, not at all. However, we know Look that if you. they, sorry, I said, oh my gosh, no. Yeah, no, of course not. However, and it also doesn't mean that if you were breastfed, that you're not going to get that. The point is that not breastfeeding, we're at a higher risk at at you know succumbing to any one of these things. Um, and if we are breastfed, then breastfeeding, not only because it's normative, so anything not doing what's normative, we set ourselves up to a problem, but breastfeeding also has protective um, or adds a level of protection. It confers protection. So it doesn't mean that just because you're breastfeeding doesn't mean that you yourself as a breastfeeding mother breastfed a number of kids, you aren't going to end up with breast cancer. If you were genetically predisposed to having breast cancer and you set yourself up for various risk factors, including not breastfeeding, that's not a good thing. And certainly if you were from a family where there seems to be a genetic predisposition to breast cancer, I'd be trying very hard to make sure that you're breastfeeding your kids. Is it going to guarantee? No, but it's more likely to. And where people talk about that the science isn't there, I think we have enough studies over and over that have confirmed and confirmed over and over um, to say that, you know, by not breastfeeding, we're at higher risk of 
tons of things. And yes, we can allow for the fact that, oh, you might say cognitive development. And so that, well, look at the look at the sample size, look at the people they looked at. You know, maybe those are families that. But when we even allow for those kinds of variations, we still see, or those variables, we still see that the breastfeeding has a protective effect. And, you know, babies do tend to score higher on various tests at certain points, not always. Um, but if I can just for one second go back to, you know, kind of who's, you mentioned about the comments of the breastfeeding Nazi, and yeah, I, I find it beyond offensive. Um, when, when really you have some passionate people trying to defend something that they feel is, is, is going, and I'm sure a lot of people in the birthing world feel that way about natural or vaginal delivery, um, but, you know, one thing I find interesting, because you brought it up in terms of analogy with birth, and that is that also not only do you have people you said who they want to do the right thing, they want to have a home birth, and so on and so forth. And when I say right, I, I just mean that it works better for them. And then what happens is you have these very same people who espouse having home births, for all its wonderful things and trying not to hospitalize and medicalize birth. And many midwives I have come into contact with will tell me, well, you have to have faith in the mother and her body. And I've heard this, whether you read Penny Simpkin, like no matter who you read, you're going to hear that, you know, have faith in the mother's body, the mother's body knows what to do. And yet the second the baby's out, those very often, not always, but uh, very same people who have talked about how important it is to trust in the mother's body now totally doesn't trust in the mother's body. And they start weighing the baby before and after feedings. They start timing feedings, scheduling feedings, and start panicking if baby's not gaining 28 grams per day. Or sorry, one ounce, one, one ounce a day in the U.S. See what I'm saying? We're we're in a bit of a weird kind of loop in an alternate universe here where things just yeah, aren't jiving. It really is like that. As soon as you said that, I was like, oh, my gosh, the same people who I've talked to, who I know, who I'm friends with, will say, like, you know, trust in the process, trust in mom's body. And then as soon as their clients see these are born, they're weighing them like crazy. They're just, like, super freaky. There's no trust in the, in the process of, of having been born. And, um, you know, I mean, I get that there are a lot of signs that you need to pay attention to. I'm not saying, you know, trust in everything and la, 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 everything's going to be fine and you don't ever have to pay attention to your baby. I'm not saying that. But, you know, the problems that arise, uh, the real problems are very small compared to the non-problems that can happen. And we should mm-hmm. trust the process and use common sense in between. There, there is a, a huge ball that could be dropped when you when you don't have any common sense and there's no middle ground for you there. And this, this can't be a black or white thing. Uh, it really can't be. It's just, it's so awful. And, I, and now I'm getting it more when people say, like, breast isn't best. Because when I first heard that, I lost my mind. How can breast not be best? But I get it because, like, what's the best car in the world, you know, that's available for my children? Um, you know, and I can't afford that. <laughs> so saying that breast is best, and it really messes everybody up. And when you say breast is normal, then that's different. Like it's, um, my husband and I have a running joke uh, that comes from Eddie Murphy, where somebody's like, well, you know, I've never been to jail. And he's like, what do you want, a cookie? Like, you're not supposed to go to jail. Or I love my children. What do you want, a cookie? You're supposed to love your children. <laughs> it's like exactly. whatever normal is, you know, and... Yes, some people cannot breastfeed, and and sometimes you will run into problems that are the most unsurmountable, horrific times in your life. I went through that with Jack just three years ago, and it feels fresh in my mind like yesterday, Edith. It was hell. It was horrible. It really was. And I know in my heart of hearts, if I hadn't been doing this for 11 years, if I didn't have you as a friend, if I didn't know Jennifer Tao, if I didn't know all these amazing people, I would have quit. And there's no yeah. judgment in my mind or in my heart for anybody who goes through what I did and quits. There isn't. This isn't about making yourself out to be a martyr. But I happened to know a lot more than most people do. And I really, 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 really didn't want to give up. 
And I had lactation consultant friends of mine and lactation counselor friends of mine tell me, gee, hey, if you want to quit, it's okay. And in my mind, I was like, this is like birth. I don't want you telling me, go ahead and get an epidural if that wasn't part of my plan. My plan is to breastfeed my baby. Don't tell me I can give up. Cheer me on. I love that you said that. I love that you said that uh, or, because, and I'm sorry that you went through that. I hear so often when, you know, so so much of the work that I do is training the trainer, right, is teaching the, the lactation consultants and training people to be lactation consultants. And that that's what, what so much of my work has been over the last 15 years. And so often I would have someone come to one of my courses, my classes, or, or write me or talk to me at one of my con- at a conference I'm speaking at and say, well, you know, I just think sometimes a woman just really wants to have a, a nice arm around her and a cup of tea and, you know, a, a pat on the back with a there, there, it's okay, honey, you have permission to quit. And, and I've, I've argued that. I've said, no, I, I don't believe it. I don't, I don't think that's correct. Now, having said that, I have had once in a while the occasional mom who um, was a patient in the clinic who maybe I had seen uh, quite a few times and I'd seen at home, um, I'm thinking one in particular, who basically called me up and said, I feel like if I quit right now, I'm going to disappoint you, meaning me, Edith. And I, I, you know, I, I, w- I was so horrified, and I taken aback, and I, I, I quieted down. I listened for a minute, and I, and I just said to her, "Look, this can't be about me, and I'm so sorry if you feel I have made it about me. This is not what my goal is. My goal is to help you achieve your goal, and whatever that goal is, and however that looks, that's what I'm here to do. I support you to do that." what was your original goal? And she said, my original goal was to breastfeed this baby exclusively, especially because some challenges they have in the other in her, her extended family. And I said, then if that's your goal, let's find a way to do it. And she said, but I feel like I've, I've, I've just come up against so many, you know, walls. And, and she had. She'd gone to other practitioners to get things done. And, and you know, um, She'd finally been able to meet with me in person and and stuff, and I said, okay, well, if you're ready to go the extra mile, I'm going to go with you. And we kept her breastfeeding. And in the end, she did thank me for that. But at that moment, she said she was asking for my permission to quit. She was. She was. She said she was. But when we kept her breastfeeding a few months later and she was breastfeeding and all going better, it wasn't perfect. It was way better. And she was happy. And she said, if I had quit that, I don't know if I would forgive myself. And I said, and I don't think you would have forgiven me. She said, yeah, I don't know that I would have. And, and I, you know, when I hear a lot of partners who don't want to see their partner in pain and they, they, they're beside themselves with watching women go through some of the struggles they've gone through, um, you know, they, they've told me, like, I just, you know, I just want her to quit, or my husband or my boyfriend or my partner just says, you know, it's okay if I quit. They just they don't want to see me this way. And I say, yeah, well, partner, boyfriend, husband, whoever you are, be very careful because a year later she might just come back to you and say, when I was at my lowest, when I was at my weakest, when I was at my most vulnerable, and I turned to you for strength and support, and all you did was say, yeah, let's quit. You know, I've seen too many women not forgive their partners for that. But if I can just digress for one second, you know, in of course in my in, in my career, I digress all the time. In my career, I've seen the worst of the worst, like the worst of the worst, and most breastfeeding is not the worst of the worst. Most breastfeeding is just fine. And I, I can't get over, you know, because, I, it, you know, I talked in the beginning about that tunnel vision. When you're so used to seeing the horrible breastfeeding problems, because women got screwed up in pregnancy or screwed up in birth or they've seen the wrong practitioners or a nurse who knew nothing or a doctor who knew nothing or they listened to a lactation consultant who knew nothing. And there are too many of all of these out there. And they got screwed up, and they were given the kinds of tools that just screwed them up in so many different ways. You know, when people get that way, and you, me as a practitioner, and I've seen them over and over and over and over, 
when sometimes I hear about a cousin of mine or a friend of mine or somebody, you know, they've had a baby and they didn't call me. I said, why didn't you call me? They say, well, why should I call you? Like, you knew we had a baby. I said, yeah, I wish you congratulations, but why didn't you call me? Well, why, why should I have called you? I said, well, I thought you were going to breastfeed. I, I am breastfeeding. Oh, you are? Yeah. Well, so why didn't you call me? Well, why did I need to call you? And I, I shut up for a second and I go, wait a second. <laughs> Talk about being in the wrong paradigm. I am so used to seeing the worst that I keep forgetting that most people will not have difficulties breastfeeding. Most women are going to do just fine with their breastfeeding. Most women, if we just leave them alone, they're going to be great with their breastfeeding. It's just that I'm so used to seeing so many screwed up cases that I so rarely see the normal cases. And the normal cases are women, for the most part, aren't really going to have too many challenges as long as they get a little encouragement along the way. And and, and I'll refer you back to a conversation you and I had, Gina, when I talked um, on your radio show when I was last on it, and I've mentioned this um a number of times I've been quoted on it, and that is, you know, breastfeeding is natural, but it's a learned experience just like walking. And if your baby started to walk and fell down, the first thing you're going to do is not go and reach for the crutches and say, hey, kid, you know, you gave it a great shot, but hate to see you fall down and hurt yourself. Here's crutches. Here, you can have them for the rest of your life. We don't do that. That is such a big deal. Um, it's this whole idea of um, reaching for something um, way too quickly. <laughs> um, we, yeah, we don't do that in any other time in our life. Uh, I mean, you can take that to you can take that example anywhere, and it wouldn't make any sense. We, we don't give up on people that quickly. And especially going to something like that, like, oh, well, it looks like you're never going to be able to do it, so let's go ahead and get crutches. It's a huge deal. Um, it's, it's learned like anything else is learned. Um, and and I know this show has been, um, I think you put it under family, so I'm not going to get too gross. Uh, yeah, category family. But, you know, God help me if I were to be judged for the rest of my life after my uh, performance with my first boyfriend after we made love for the first time. <laughs> you would have to get me touches <laughs> or something. Uh, and that people would just be like, yeah, you need to just give up on that whole thing. It's never going to happen for you. You're not really good at it. So just quit now. Just be a nun. Right. Just right. Go be a nun and stop forever. Um, so, yeah, so logically it doesn't work out. Um, but we're so quick to just be like, and in that video I was talking about, that Adam Ruins Everything video, they said, um, oh, well, I had a really hard time nursing in the hospital, and the nurse said it was perfectly fine for me to have formula or to get my baby formula. And I, and a lot of my friends were like, oh, well, that's not even, they didn't even say what her problem was. Was it just difficult? Did it, was she just really tired? Did the baby have a bad lash? <laughs> There's so many things that can be overcome. Um, but if it's just difficult and you, you go to something that isn't alive and doesn't change when your baby changes, just because it's difficult, I think that falls into the category of informed consent and parents aren't being informed to what they're consenting to when they make the choice to move the formula. Does that make sense? Does that sound fair? Yeah, no, totally, totally. That's a great analogy. I love that. Yeah, I, I'm sure if we told a lot of people, don't worry, after you, you know, you screw up screwing, yeah, stop, stop. Um, but... <laughs> I've said I've said um, so often that I feel for nurses because nurses are, you know, have to literally somehow do their job and they are stuck between a rock and a hard place and a cliff. They have to answer to hospital policy, to the doctors, to the patients and the patients' families, and and then they have their own background, their own baggage, their own stuff that they come with, and they have a rough go. Now, the same thing will happen with doctors and midwives and everywhere else where they come with their own baggage, they come with their own experience. I'm, I'm, I'm known for saying an N of one does not a study make, and it doesn't. If you use your own experience to inform how you're going to practice with your patients, you're a problematic practitioner. That's a problem. We can't do that. And so here's the challenge, that too many people 
do not refer when they're when they should be referring. And I've said over and over and over again, I should not have a job. Well, I don't. I run my own businesses. But I, I, I shouldn't, as a lactation consultant, we shouldn't have to exist. Lactation consultants and big clinics that focus on these huge problems really shouldn't have to exist, except for Who these extraordinary lactation consultants. We shouldn't have to exist because... Yeah, I told you I shake things up, Gina. Yeah. Um, no, I, because, well, I think doulas shouldn't exist. Who should who shouldn't exist? No, doulas? no, because we should we should know what's normal about birth, and you should be able to just call your sister or your grandma, who totally gets and understands that birth is normal. It can help you through everything. She's not afraid of what's going on, and she understands uh, that birth is a normal function of life. But we're not there now, and that's why we have doulas. So I get that. I I, I love that, but I'd switch that one around on you if I may, not being a doula and if I could totally come into your world for a second. I would say midwives and obstetricians should not have to exist. That doulas actually should be your doctor, your 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 sisters, your other daughters, your aunts, your cousins, your whomever. That you know, just having somebody like that be your doula and that be the doula, um, and then we get rid of all the professionals that are around. That's what I think. But anyway, I but but so on that note. The, cha- the challenge is that we do exist because there have been problems, and whereas lactation consultants should really be dealing with the problems from genetic problems or other types of things where you've had trauma, traumatic birth, and so on, that's why we should exist. But instead, we've become the norm. So now that we've become the norm, we've become the norm because it uh, has been ne- necessary to have us as the norm. And the challenge is, though, too many people don't know when to refer to us. And it's one of the first things I say whenever I teach a course to new upcoming people to become lactation consultants is I say one of the most important things that you need to get from this whole course is knowing when this is out of your scope. Like, literally, when do you not know? And the smartest thing is to say to the parents, I don't know. We need to go and see someone who does. And we need to refer. You know, that's the biggest um, pet peeve. Oh yeah, oh yeah, it's crazy. You know, but not referring like, out. I can't tell you how many <clears throat> conversations I've had in the past with people who either emailed me, called me, texted me, came in to see me, were observing when I used to be at the clinic, uh, who would come and say things like, "Oh, well, I had few. For instance, I had one. This one I'll never forget." She called me up and she said, um, this is my first name, and I'm going to ask you to keep this conversation completely confidential. I said, okay, fine. She said, I am working already in a breastfeeding clinic in such and such a city. I said, okay, big city. Um, And I said, okay. And she was working at what's considered like the breastfeeding hospital within that city. And she said, I'm a lactation consultant. I'm a board-certified lactation consultant, and I'm working in the breastfeeding clinic in this hospital. I said, okay, great. And she said, I don't, I don't know the first thing about latching. So while I tried to pick wow. my jaw up off the ground, I said, I, I, don't, I don't get it. And she said, I don't, I, I, I really don't. Now, I kind of could have told her that she didn't know anything about latching in the sense that I, at the time I was so arrogant that I thought that, you know, there were very few people, maybe five people on the planet who knew about latching. But when I stopped being so arrogant, I started realizing that, you know, there are a lot of people out there really doing their best trying to get babies latching. We all have a very different way of doing it. That's a problem in itself. But the fact that she had been able to pass an international board-certified exam and that she got a job at a breastfeeding clinic in what's supposed to be one of the top baby-friendly hospitals in the country. And, you know, she got a job there, and she's seeing moms by herself, and she admits she doesn't know the first thing about latching. She says, I looked at some of the books. I see so much conflicting, contradictory information, and nobody has ever trained me hands-on. That's a problem. So there's a lactation consultant who just finally realized after, I guess it was six months or something of practice, that now she had to learn. I had another lactation consultant come to me who had just um, passed her exam, and she'd been with La Leche League for years, and uh, she came and she said, now I need to, I passed my exam, and now I need to learn about breastfeeding. 
I said, great. <laughs> and she meant from the lactation medicine point of view, but literally also help mothers with breastfeeding because she'd been with Laleche and she'd done wonderful peer support, but she couldn't help a mother technically. At least she recognized it. So she made sure she did the responsible thing and came out to get training. Um, I had another lactation consultant once send me an email and she said that, or sorry, she called me and then followed with an email and she said, I have the most bizarre case. I have this woman, she has so much excruciating pain, blah, 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 and she said, and I've done this, 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 you know, there is, like, nothing is getting better, and she said, it's just absolutely bizarre, and I said, okay, well, the first thing I would do is adjust the latch, and she said to me, what, you don't understand, but, like, I've done everything possible, like, I'm not an idiot, and I said, okay, I get that, and I totally appreciate that, I'm still going to suggest you adjust the latch. And she said, well, why do you say that? And I said, because the latch that you described to me is never a latch I would ever use. So what does that mean? Well, we always talk about an asymmetric latch, how important it is that the baby's, the baby's, the mother's nipple goes somewhere near the junction of the hard and soft palate in the baby's mouth. So if you, if you don't know where that is and you take your tongue and you run it along the roof of your mouth until you get to a soft part in the back, that's the junction where the hard and soft palate meet. So when a mother, when a baby's well latched, the mother's nipple is going to be gently uh, elongated, and it's going to reach somewhere in that area. It doesn't have to be right there, but somewhere in that area. Well, the whole point is that the baby, in order to have the nipple go there in the baby's mouth, the baby cannot be on the breast um, symmetrically. There must be an asymmetric kind of latch, which means the baby's chin is going to be in the breast, but the nose will not be touching the breast. So baby's head is like in a tipping back position, chin away from baby's chin away from baby's chest. Well, when she described to the latch to me on the phone, she said, so I have the nose touching the breast really well, the chin in with a big open mouth and so on and so forth. And she went, and I said, yeah, adjust the latch. She said, you don't get it. Like she went on and on. I could, and finally I just said to her, look, I 100% disagree with how you're latching this baby. It's causing the mother pain. Adjust the latch. I said, will you do us all a favor and go and do that? And when she saw the mother the next day in the clinic, she called me back. She said, I feel like an idiot, that it made all the difference in the world. Right. Well, at least she knew to finally call me. But this was a, a certified lactation consultant who'd been in practice now for a few years. Now, I'm not meaning to bash down on lactation consultants because I went back to nurses, talked about nurses before, but too many nurses know nothing about breastfeeding. Well, and, the, and that's the thing, too. I, I think what happened is, or has happened, and, and this happened to me, We a lot of us go into the, the birth community or uh, industry, and we all have these uh, ideas and ideals and expectations of a title. So when I came into the birth world, I thought all midwives were super crunchy, and uh, we're, uh, you know, just knitted in the corner and didn't do anything and they weren't going to pull on any heads and they weren't going to pull on any cords and they weren't going to do all these things because of the one example that I had as, as a midwife I was an assistant to. And then lo and behold, oh, my gosh, there's midwives out there that act just like obstetricians do. <laughs> and, um, and by the way, there are obstetricians out there that act like my ideal version of a midwife, so I'm not trying to villainize anyone. But when you have this idea, this idealized idea, of what somebody's going to do or be by their title, that I think maybe that's where we need to start making some changes in our expectations. Because just because somebody has an IBCLC or, or an IBCLCE or whatever uh, doesn't mean that they're the best at what they do. And we might, we might want to do better um, by interviewing them differently, and that's going to be a whole other show on how to find a good IBCLC and how to find the support that you need as a breastfeeding mom. Because that one doula slash uh, breastfeeding counselor that I talked to who was so angry and upset. I think she had every reason to be angry and upset by the lactation counselors that have, um, or lactation uh, consultants who have talked to her clients or manhandled her clients and, or done things to her clients in a way that upset them and hurt them and turned them off on to breastfeeding altogether. I think just because, um, I think we need to reword how we say, um, that somebody needs help and they need to go to somebody. They don't just need to go to an IBCLC. They need to go to a reputable one, the one who has lots of experience and one that they should be able to, yes, um, interview. Does that make sense? Like, I, 
Yeah. And we and yet, say you know, need an IBCLC period. Yeah, no, 100%. And yet you can ask I, most of the pediatricians in this city, well, in my city in Toronto, many of the pediatricians, and it used to be that they would recommend one of two lactation consultants, both of whom um, I feel do not practice uh, in at one point, they were very like they were the, the the ones that everybody went to when I was when I was sort of coming up in the lactation world, and I couldn't get over it because I couldn't believe how many women would just get so screwed up. And these lactation consultants, one of them in particular, would say to the mothers, uh, "You know, call your husband and tell him to pick up some some formula and bottles on the way home." Um, you know, just just say some crazy things to the mother, and um, but. They were so highly regarded because they were very good at communicating with the pediatricians. Now, again, I'm not, I don't want to bash lactation consultants, but it's interesting. This is very apropos, and maybe this is more on a professional line and not so much for a family show, but there have, right now, there's a huge, uh, not controversy, but discussion going on with about the fact that the International Board of Lactation Consultants um, examiners wants to add another credential, and we as professionals have always been asking for a higher level credential so we can get people better trained, and they're considering offering a lower level stepping stone credential, which in my eyes is just beyond beyond just just so such a bad decision just it just doesn't work in any way but you know so we're surprise surprise that we're going to have more women who are just not going to be as well supported as they could be to um to to really get to their breastfeeding goals and that's what it's all about when parents choose that they want to breastfeed then we should be supporting that it's cheaper for all of society it's less expensive for all of us when every baby is breastfed or even when more babies are breastfed. It is much, much less expensive because not breastfeeding baby costs a lot to the environment, to society, to uh, uh, whatever city, country, whatever kind of area. And whether you think whether you have um, socialized Medicare, Medicare the way we do or you don't, it's still a cost. There is a financial burden by babies not being breastfed, and, and 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 not that I want to end it all back with money, but I think it, I think this starts and ends with money. This whole conversation we're having it really comes from that. Sorry about that. I got interrupted for a second. Um, can you repeat that last one more time? Just the, the last two sentences that you said. Oh gosh, you want me to remember things? Ah. I think when. <laughs> It all starts and ends with money, and that um, there's a cost. Did you hear the part about there's a cost to our environment? There's a cost. There's a financial burden, literally, when babies are not breastfed, and that's a cost to whatever region and jurisdiction you're in. There yeah. is a cost yeah. to a healthcare system. There's a cost everywhere when we have babies who are not breastfed, and you know when we look at a large segment of the population, the more people we're not breastfed the um yeah we all we all are let's just say it doesn't work it doesn't yeah. work very well there's a huge cost and there's more to it and we'll be talking more about this uh probably why i have like 60 shows dedicated to breastfeeding <laughs> thank you edith so much for your time today and all the work that you do i'm i'm so happy to know you i'm so happy to call you my friend and i i just really am grateful to all the work that you do and can you tell everybody how they can find out more information about you and where they can find you online and all that good stuff? Sure. Thank you. Um, breastfeedinginc.ca is uh, is my company and organization, and we have a whole lot of freebie resources on our webpage, and we also have a whole lot of things for sale that we are 100% WHO code compliant, and we strongly believe that um, for women who choose to breastfeed or parents who choose to chest feed, that we are the resource for everybody and anybody who chooses to help them, we are there. And so, yeah, go to breastfeedinginc.ca. You can follow me at breast at uh, Baby Latch Canada on Twitter. You can follow me on Facebook at Breastfeeding Inc. And Instagram, you can find us everywhere. And, uh, yeah, don't hesitate to come to our page and like us over there. Uh, and I thank you, Gina. Sure. Oh, thank you. 
I'll make sure to put all of your information up on our Progressive Parenting Radio uh, Facebook page. That way uh, you guys can access it whenever you want. Uh, thanks again to my guest today. Uh, thanks again to our sponsors. I would like to thank a special thank you to uh, beautifullyconnectedwellness.com. You can get uh, resource, uh, well-resourced uh, and cared for rebozos at beautifullyconnectedwellness.com. They, um, that is not my company in any way. If anybody knows, I do love rebozos, but that's not my company. Beautifullyconnectedwellness.com. Uh, Brittany Chavez does beautiful work there. Make sure that you do go to beautifullyconnectedwellness.com and tell them that we said hi. Thank you again to uh, Bebo Mia for being our sponsor, and thank you again to Recessa Cradle uh, for being the only resuscitation support board designed for stabilizing the head, neck, and body of a newborn to help ensure an open airway. Thank you, everybody, for listening. We love you so much, and tune in next week at the same time for more information. I will be talking to Sarah Hanna, uh, uh, I was going to say Hanna Kaufman, that's my, my midwife, <laughs> to Sarah Hanna Silverman, and we're going to be talking about moody moms and how to take care of our moods with herbs. So this should be interesting. Join us next week at 11 a.m. Mountain Time. Till then, take care of yourselves and take care of each other. Do anything right. I wanna be so good today. This little light, if I ever wake in the night, I wanna know.